today we're going to look at two of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Two of the prayers of the Apostle Paul. The first prayer is an objective prayer, and the second prayer is more of a subjective prayer. In the sense that objective meaning that God has acted upon us. And because God has acted upon us, we respond. Uh, and we call on the Lord in prayer. Subjective meaning that this is how we respond. This is what we do in our <clears throat> efforts to pray. <clears throat> in following the example and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope this leads you to want to enter into a time of more spiritual discipline of prayer uh, that you would give some thought to how you could improve your walk with the Lord through prayer and uh, try some of the um, classic ways of um, walking with God in prayer. So speaking of prayer, let us pray and then we'll read the text and get started. Father, we do thank you for your love and your mercy and your goodness. We do pray, Lord, that we will hear a fresh word from the Lord today. We join our state in praying for our brothers and sisters in eastern Kentucky uh, that have been devastated by this flood. Particularly, Lord, we pray for your comfort upon those who've lost their loved ones. Twenty-five people have lost their life in this awful flood. It's hard to imagine that water can do such damage, but it does, and that the cleanup will go well, that we'll use this as an opportunity to witness, uh, whether through mud out experiences or donating money or being a part of disaster relief. Uh, we ask God that we'll be a part of the healing process, and not a problem, but a part of the healing process for our brothers and sisters in eastern Kentucky. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to pray to walk with you in this matter called conversational prayer. And may we truly, truly grow in our understanding of who you are and what you've given to us and what we can receive and how we can live uh, this Christian life through prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all who agreed said, Amen and Amen. We're going to look at verse 15 of chapter 1 where Paul writes, For this reason I too having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, or in the heavenlies, period. Prayer is a spiritual exercise that God encourages us to grow in. Uh, St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola uh, was probably one of the great saints of this spiritual discipline called prayer. And he had a word for it. His word for prayer was conversa, which means conversation. And he came to help us understand that prayer is 
an ongoing dialogue with God. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, pray always. That's why Paul would pray, would say, pray in the Spirit. So praying in the Spirit and praying always means we are having a constant conversation with God. This is a beautiful way to look at prayer because many times we think about the discipline of prayer and say, well, you know, I have such a challenge to pray. I know I'm challenged by this ADHD brain that I was born with. It's hard for me to stay on topic. It's hard for me to stay on the subject. And my mind wanders while I pray. Do you have that problem? Uh, when you start with a certain topic, your, your brain just kind of goes off into other things. And it's hard to stay focused in that spiritual discipline of prayer. But if you understand that prayer is not so much a time of focus as it is a conversation that's ongoing all the time. That helps me a lot. And I hope it'll help you in that you'll want to have a running conversation with the Lord. Uh, prayer is not a magical exercise <clears throat> because God is not a vending machine. Many people treat God like he's a vending machine. We put in our prayer request, we pay our tithe at the church, we pull the lever, and we get what we want. Uh, prayer is not a vending machine. God is not a vending ma machine that we get exactly what we want every time. But prayer is conversation. Prayer is a dialogue with God. And in this dialogue with God, we grow in our relationship with Him and come to understand that we have more blessings that God wants to give to us than we have ever asked God to give to us. So we, we grow in this spiritual exercise called uh, prayer. But it's not a magic thing. I heard uh, Tony Evans preaching this week, and uh, Tony Evans told the story about uh, a farmer whose wife um, had called the pastor and she said to the pastor, <clears throat> I need you to come over and I need you to talk to my husband. He said, well, ma'am, what's the problem? She said, he thinks he's a chicken. My husband is out in the chicken coop and he thinks he's a chicken. And she said, I can't get him to come out of the chicken coop. I can't get him to come out into the house. He said, well, I really don't need to come. He said, you're his wife. Y'all been married a long time. He'll listen to you. You just tell him he's not a chicken. He needs to come out of the chicken coop. He needs to come back to the house. She said, I can't do that. He said, yeah, you can. All you got to do is just holler out there to him, honey, I love you. Uh, you may think you're a chicken, but you're not. And I want you to come out and come back to the house. She said, I can't do that. Pastor says, why can't you do that? She said, because I need the eggs. <laughs> well, some of us think that prayer is kind of like a magic wand that we wave. You know, things happen just because we say so. Uh, but they don't. Um, prayer is a conversation and a dialogue with Holy God. It's not a magical vending machine exercise where you put something in and expect something to come out. God wants us to grow in this dynamic, ongoing relationship with Him. Now, I want us to focus on the text here today, and I want us to think about what God is offering to us. Now, when I talked about prayer is an objective exercise, this means that God has acted upon us. God has acted upon us. God has given to us. God has acted upon us. When we believed in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, God redeemed us and saved us. 
God acted upon us. After we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives in us. That is an act of God upon us. As we commune and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, it is this continuing uh, conversation and dialogue with Holy God where He is constantly acting upon us. That is the objectives, objective side of prayer. And so as God acts upon us, this is what He has given to us. He says in verse 15, This reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. One of the things God has given to us is His great abiding love. We do not know how to love each other. We struggle with this word called love. We live in a culture that doesn't understand what real love is. And until we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are short of love. But because we have Christ in us, we are able to love the unlovely. Now, that doesn't mean you have to like everybody, but you do have to be loving toward everyone. And we have that ability to be loving toward people, even those that we don't like, because we have received the great love of God upon us. So God's love lives in our fellowship. God's love reigns in the relationships that we have in the body of Christ, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because God loves, loves reigns, we live in that dialogue and conversation with God as the children of God. We are the people of God. We are the children of God. And the love of God lives and reigns in us. I don't think there's any greater gift than to know that we are the children of God. And He treats us as His children. We are not abandoned. We are not orphaned. We are received. We are loved. We are blessed because we are the very children of holy God. And he says in verse 16, I always give thanks for you. When Paul remembers the church at Ephesus and the churches that will read this letter, he's always giving thanks because the message of the gospel went forth from Rome to Ephesus even before Paul could get there. And because the message of the gospel went forth, wherever the gospel was proclaimed and wherever it was preached, people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I rejoice in that. Now, why did Paul rejoice? Mainly because the Gentiles who were left out of this, um, this early church were now included into the church and were considered children of God, heirs of Abraham, just as much as any Jew that had been converted and became a Christian as well. And for Paul, this was the great mystery of the gospel, that everybody who believed in Christ could be saved, that everyone who trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord could be born again and could be called a child of God and have that rare and precious uh, status as being children of God, beloved we are the children of God. When you get to verse 17, he talks about three ways that we are blessed by prayer and how God answers our prayer. Number one, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom and revelation are God's blessings for His children through prayer. Wisdom and revelation. What is wisdom? 
Well, wisdom is not just knowing the right thing to do, but wisdom is how God built the world. Wisdom is how God created all that exists. And revelation is God revealing himself. Karl Barth said one time, Through God alone may God be known. Some of you who write notes in your Bible ought to write that down. Through God alone may God be known. Let me say it again. Through God alone may God be known. In other words, we do not go know God nor who He is, nor do we understand the wisdom and the ways of God unless God reveals it to us. And God has revealed Himself to us through Jesus Christ, His, His Son, our Savior, and because He's revealed Himself to us, we understand the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God Himself. We have a working personal relationship that's a conversation, a dialogue, if you will, with Holy God through the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the special status of conversation that you and I can enjoy every day of the week as we walk every day in this conversation with the Lord. It doesn't have to be an exercise where you're on your knees all the time. It is a constant dialogue from the time that you get up in the morning. As you go throughout your day, you just simply talk to God. And God talks back to us. That's the dialogue part. And we receive from that in conversation with God, in conversation with other Christian friends, and understanding the, the, the Bible itself and the Word of God. We come to understand who God really is. And He is the God who has created. He is the God who blesses. He is the God who saves. He is the God who calls us His children. And He has given us that status. And we have that status for all of eternity. That belongs to us. What God has given to Christ Jesus Himself belongs to you and me as well. So He's praying then that the Father of glory may give to them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, or the knowledge of God Himself. So through God alone may God be known. And as God reveals Himself to us, He reveals more and more of Himself. God happened to Moses. God revealed Himself. God happened to Moses on the backside of Mount Sinai. God told Moses, the ground that you're standing on is holy ground. Take your shoes off. God began to reveal to Moses His covenant. God revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses, His moral law. And God revealed who He was to the people of God, and they were to follow Him and to serve Him. God happened to Moses. Not only has God happened to Moses, but God became known to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And He is fully revealed in Jesus Christ. The Mormon Church, or the Latter-day Saints Church, would say to us that we have a revelation in Jesus Christ, but in these latter days, more of God has been revealed to us through the Book of Mormon. The Bible says very clearly that God was fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And if Christ is the full revelation of God, there's not another revelation of God coming. Christ is the full revelation of holy God. So Jesus would say to his disciples, if you want to know who the Father is, study me. If you want to know who the Father is, follow me. If you want to understand who God the Father is and how much he loves you, then be obedient to him and follow me and do as I command you to do. 
And in doing that, we have this knowledge of holy God revealed to us through Jesus Christ. We need not the Book of Mormon. We need not another revelation from culture. We need not science and understanding from the world to know more about God. Now, this is not to say we are antagonistic towards science. Science is our friend. Science helps us to understand creation. Science helps us understand that there was perhaps a big bang and everything got started. But who was the prime mover? Who was the one that spoke and all things came into existence? Who initiated the Big Bang? God himself did. And God reveals himself not only as creator, as he desires to create, but one who continues to create. The Webb telescope that's out in the far reaches of the universe now, looking farther and farther into when we got started as a, as a universe is revealing to us stars that were in existence way back then that are no longer in existence now, but the light is just now getting to us. The one who created all that was the Lord our God who created heaven and earth. And we can know him. We can have a conversation with him. We can walk with him and talk with him. And he will nurture us and speak to us and follow us and not abandon us. He is the God who loves us with great compassion. So we have this wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. Number two, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened and you will know what is the hope of his calling. That you will know what is the hope of his calling. What do you hope for? Now some people hope for uh, things to come. Some people hope for a better job. Some people hope for a better place to live. Some people have hope of not hitting a deer again like myself. Some people have, you know, we have hopes. But there is a hope that is everlasting. And that hope is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. It is a fact of human history that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, died on the cross, and was raised from the dead on the third day and revealed himself to over 500 at one time to all the disciples uh, particularly, and then the Apostle Paul, about 20 years later, he, re he, appealed, he revealed himself to the Apostle Paul. And so this Christ is, for you and for me, the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And he wants us to know this is our hope. This is our hope. Our hope is the resurrection of Christ. Some of you have lost a beloved. Some of you have lost a a spouse, some of you have lost a close friend. And we need to remember in these times that our hope is the resurrection of Christ. Because what God gave to Jesus at the resurrection is also ours as well. And that hope belongs to us. We grieve, but we don't grieve as others who have no hope, the Bible says. We grieve with hope. And our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So nail it down. It's a fact. It's a truth from God. There is a resurrection coming for the people of God. And this is ours, and this is our hope. And it is in that walking, talking, dialogue, conversation with God that keeps reminding us when we doubt, when we fear, when we're uncertain about the future, that this hope cannot be taken away. This is ours, and it belongs to us. So he said, I pray that you will know the hope of his calling, that is, the resurrection of Christ. 
Number two, he said, I pray, that uh, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What are we about to inherit? Well, we're gonna, we will inherit everything God promised to Abraham. And the Gentiles are a part of that inheritance as well. And this was the conflict in the early church. Uh, the Jews believed that the Gentiles had to become Jews first in order to be considered uh, Christian. And Paul said, no, this, this circumcision that's required of the Jewish people is not required of the Gentiles in order to become a Christian. He said, circumcision is not what saves you. It is the resurrection of Christ and faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ that saves you. Which reminds me that there's nothing I can add to my faith in Jesus to give me salvation. There's no religious act that I can do or perform that will add to me salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ that makes him our inheritance, our future. There's a, a lottery winner out there somewhere. And right now they're worth $1.34 billion. Think about that. Do you have any idea what kind of money that is? I have no clue. I have no clue. I'd like to find out. Wouldn't you? I've been thinking about that all week. Driving back from Mississippi, I thought, well, I'll certainly have all the peas and watermelons I want to have. I think I'll help with the building program at a church or two. I think I'll pay all the seminary students' um, 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 registration fees at schools. Uh, I think I'll just go around and be a blessing. Folks, you can't spend a billion dollars. You, you, just, can't, you just can't spend a billion dollars. Uh, but did you know that the winner of a lottery doesn't know that they're a winner yet? Can you believe that? There's somebody, somebody sitting at home today mulling over life and how disastrous it is and how awful life is, uh, you know, and inside their little, their little, either their wallet or somewhere in their purse or somewhere else, there's a lottery ticket worth $1.34 billion. And they're just, this whole world so bad. This old world just so awful. You know, that's the people that play the lottery. That's why I know that. The people that play the lottery are always down, are always negative, are always losers. You know, I've never lost the lottery. I've never lost the lottery. And I don't plan to lose it either. I don't plan to lose it. Um, yeah. And so they're to, for this very day and at this very moment, they don't know that they are worth $1.34 billion. That's $1,340,000,000, and they don't know it. Probably still hungover from being drunk last night. Isn't that pitiful? That's pitiful, isn't it? Somebody needs to go in there and wake up this person that thinks they've lost all hope in life and help them understand that you're, you're now worth $1.34 billion. Do what? Yeah. 
I think that's the status of many Christians. We have the inheritance of all the, the whole world. The greatest treasure that can ever be purchased. We have the greatest pearl of great price that's worth spending all our money on, everything else, and buying that property so that we can have and own the pearl of great price, Jesus said. That's what we have. But we don't claim it. And we don't live it. Because we're lost in our dialogue with ourselves and our conversations about woe is me. And ain't it awful in my life. That's where we're stuck. And God wants to remind you and me that we have an inheritance that the world cannot take away. It belongs to us for eternity. And the lottery will go away and all those mega billions will die away and be lost. In fact, most people who have won the lottery have lost everything they had. Statistics will show you that people who win the lotteries have lost everything they have. Can you believe that? Going from nothing to being a millionaire to absolutely losing what they've got. Why is that? Because we don't treasure what's eternal. We don't treasure what's eternal. And that which is of ultimate value should be our ultimate concern. Say that again. That which is of ultimate value should be our ultimate concern. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Conversant with St. Ignatius' way of spiritual dialogue and conversation with Holy God. It is fashioned after the Lord's Prayer. We pray it every Sunday. And one of the reasons we do this is so that we can be trained to use the Lord's Prayer in ministry opportunities as they come along. It's one thing to pray the Lord's Prayer, but it's another thing to let it be a tool of ministry during the, the week ahead of you. And you will have opportunities coming up this week to utilize the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Father says that we are personally familiar with Holy God. That we can say, Abba, Father. We are personally familiar with holy God who art in heaven this is how we reverence him he is holy God who rules and reigns in sovereignty in the heavens thy kingdom come means that we share what God wants we share what God desires Somebody said one time, the prayer that's always answered is, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We desire what God desires. Give us this day our daily bread. 
this is us asking for what we need, not what we always want, but certainly for what we need. And then to deliver us from evil. We beg our Father's protection in these spiritual battles because it is these spiritual battles that we cannot win on our own strength. You will lose every time. Satan is smarter than you are. Satan is more conniving than you are. He's been at this game a lot longer than you have. He knows your weaknesses, and he will target you. This is why that daily conversation, conversa, dialogue, daily conversation with God is so very important. I finish up with the second prayer of the Apostle Paul found in chapter 3 where he prays a more subjective prayer. The objective prayer was what God happens to us, how God happens to us, and what he has given to us. The second prayer is more how we respond, our subjective prayer. He said, for this reason I bow my knees. This is how we pray. We bow our knees before a holy God who is our Father. We bow our knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We have been given not just a name to be called, but to be given a name means we have a purpose in life. And our purpose is one singular purpose, and that's to glorify God. In verse 16, he prays, I grant that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Paul's prayer for you and for me was that we would grow up on the inside to be more like Jesus Christ, not by our own doing or achievement, but by his strength. Realizing when we are weak, he is strong. When we were poor, he made us rich. His grace is sufficient for our need. Remember the Paul, the apostle prayed, I want to know Christ. I want to know him in every possible way. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Who doesn't want that? We all desire to live in the power of the resurrection of Christ. That's the upside of the gospel. And he said, I also want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. That's the painful side of living this Christian life. Because we live on both tracks. We're like the train that comes through every night about 2 o'clock, wakes me up at the parsonage. There's two tracks out there. One track is the accelerating track. The other track is the decelerating track. The accelerating track is the power of the resurrected Christ. The decelerating track of life are the problems and catastrophes and disasters that we live with. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. How did Jesus endure these things? How did he endure? He had a conversation with God. He had a conversation with the Father. And he stayed in that conversation mode with the Father all throughout his temptations and finally he said so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith 
and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with the saints what is the height, the breadth, the length, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. The height of the love of God is for God so loved the world. The length of the love of God is that he gave his only begotten Son. The depth of the love of God is that for whosoever believes in him. And the far-reaching effects of the love of God is that we shall not perish, but we shall have eternal life by faith and faith alone in him. So this dialogue, this constant conversation with God has the aim of, of transforming us within, in the inner man, the inner woman, the inner being of who you really are, so that we are transformed to be more like our Savior who resides in us in the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's prayer. There are the prayers that he prays in the New Testament, but these are the two in the, in the writings of Ephesians. And I pray that you'll be impressed to pray more, that you'll be impressed to have more conversation with God, and that you will find more ways to stay in dialogue with God. Don't divorce him. He won't divorce you. Stay in conversation with him and stay in dialogue with him. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the opportunity to pray and be in conversation with you. We thank you, O Lord, for your love and compassion for us that just keeps being poured out and poured out and poured out for us. Thank you for the inheritance that we have received that is unperishing, that will never fade away, and that can never be replaced by anything greater. All these are ours. Help us to stay in conversation with you, Lord. Help us to be honest about our journey with you. When we have doubts, let us say so. When we are afraid, let us say so. And let us be ready, Lord, to receive your grace that's sufficient for every hour of our need. Now I pray today if there be one person that needs to come and give their life to the Lord, they'll come forward during this hymn that we're going to sing. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.